So today we're continuing with the Amthal al-Qur'an, the parables of the Qur'an. Today we're taking a look at Surah Al-Kahf, which is Surah 18, Ayah number 32, in which Allah Ta'ala says, بَعْدَ عَوْذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَاضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلَ الرَّجُلَيْنِ جَعَلْنَا لِأَحَدِهِمَا جَنَّتَيْنِ مِنْ أَعْنَابٍ وَحَفَفْنَاهُمَا بِنَخْلٍ وَجَعَلْنَا بَيْنَهُمَا زَرْعًا And we present to them an example of two men. We granted one of them two gardens of grapevines, and we bordered them with palm trees and placed between them fields of crops. So subhanAllah, this guy is doing very, very well for himself. Uh, in two gardens of grapevines, border them up with all nothing but palm trees um, so that they are protected. The wind can't destroy them or is unlikely to destroy them because they have that uh, calm on the inside, right? Obviously, when you're surrounded by trees, it creates a better environment on the inside. Less, uh, the elements will destroy them much less or have less of an effect. And placed between them these fields, these crops. And the word zara is the mustar, implying what? That they produce constantly. Um, this is this is the implication here that it's not just a, a a farm that sometimes produces and some sections are let's say barren. No, the whole thing is uh, producing crops and fields and is beneficial. So Subhanallah, this actually this story goes from I number thirty two all the way to forty four, and I don't think I'm going to be covering all those uh, thirteen verses today. I'm just going to give a small. A uh, few few points from this story that I think are essential, so that we can cover the basics. But inshallah, one day, hopefully, if we cover the whole surah, we'll go into a long, into depth of uh, study of this whole section. What we just want to focus on today is the fact that Subhanallah, this individual, he has these two gardens. He's very much blessed with uh, a variety of types. And then you might ask yourself, why is it the case that it's mentioned two? Well, obviously, if the you know having a backup is always more, it gives you more confidence than just having one single one. The fact that it's also surrounded by, you could say, this natural barrier, which is also producing uh, dates. And then in addition to that, you have, subhanAllah, all these, uh, these two uh, zara'ah, this, uh, these, these farms, these crops. SubhanAllah, this guy is doing extremely well. So this is an example of somebody who is doing, uh, making so much money. And then Allah says, كِلْتَ الْجَنَّتَيْنِ آتَتْ أُكُلَهَا وَلَمْ تَظْلِمْ مِنْهُ شَيْئًا وَفَجَّرْنَا خِلَالَهُمَا نَهَرًا each of the two gardens produced its fruits. And what's interesting is it's not technically the word fruit. Ukulaha means it's edibles. It means something that, that is edible. It's food. Because obviously if Allah said both gardens are producing fruit, you might say, well, some fruits are edible and others may, you know, be rotten or have, uh, you know, worms in it or whatever, you know, maybe even misshapen and nobody wants to buy it. Nobody's interested in, in that particular awkward looking fruit, whatever the case is. But Allah said, it doesn't say just that it's producing fruits. It's ukul. It's producing food. That means all of it is edible. It's, this guy has the best crops, essentially, that Allah Ta'ala blessed him so much that everything that's being produced in it is, uh, is, is, is in perfect shape and is not rotten and does not have any bugs in it. And it's just, you know, this guy's making tons of cash. And none of it is, you could say, uh, uh, it's translated as, and it did not fall short thereof in anything. In other words, even his workers aren't grabbing something. It's not like, uh, I don't know, squirrels or rabbits or something are coming to this, this farm and, and eating and taking from it. Nothing is taking away from the production here. And we cause to gush forth within them a river. So, subhanAllah, the fact that this is, has a river right gushing through the center of it implies what? That it has a constant water supply and there's absolutely no reason for this guy to fear that it's going to uh, ever be undone. So this guy's really looking at his business. 
He's looking at all of his workers. Everybody's doing great. Nobody's looking to overthrow the boss or start some sort of competitive rivalry or you know undercut his uh, his his his, his um, profits. So you can imagine this guy is becoming extremely proud and thinking basically he's invincible. And he had fruit, so he said to his companion while he was conversing with him, I am greater than you in wealth and mightier in numbers of men. So what does this imply? This implies that as he's looking at his great crops, as he's enjoying his wealth, and he's with his buddy who perhaps, let's say, you know, they grew up together, they've known each other for a long time, and it's like, you know, we should have been the same, we should have been comparable, and yet I have excelled you so much. Now, he doesn't just straight up tell him, I'm better than you. Allah says, يحاوره, which means while he was conversing. And this is the, the reality. People typically uh, don't come out and say, hey, by the way, I'm better than you. Uh, or I'm making more money than you. By the way, I'm richer than you. People are more subtle than that. They'll say things like, hey, so how, how's the business going? Yeah, you're still struggling. Yeah, you still, uh, I don't know, um, you know, trying to struggle to keep even three employees, you know, on the payroll. Yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from, man. And uh, how's the house? Still under repairs and yeah, still living in that little hut of yours? Oh, that's too bad. You know, hopefully things will pick up one day. Yeah, you know me, I'm already buying my third or fourth house and things are doing great and, you know, business is booming. I got 100 guys working for me, but, you know, no big deal. And so people have this method of as they're conversing with you, they're just slowly injecting the fact that, yeah, I'm better than you and I can do better than you and I'm the best. And it's very sad when you watch someone in such a pathetic way, unfortunately, um, feel the need to put others down in order to make themselves uh, feel aggrandized and bigger and better. Um, this is an unfortunate reality, but the fact of the matter is people do it all the time. Kids do it in a less subtle method. You know, kids will just say, haha, I have this and you don't, right? And try to make others jealous. But that quality doesn't go away even after childhood. You find that even as people grow up and become adults, they won't say it in those words, but they will say, oh yeah, oh, is that your car? Oh yeah, well, I just gotta, I'm gonna be driving this car over here, you know? Yeah, I got the fancy this, that, or the other, you know? And they'll just subtly inject it into the conversation. So subhanAllah, uh, this nasty quality uh, we're seeing is taking place here. And so what is the result? He makes his little comment, he's disrespectful, and then he says, and then Allah says, وَدَخَلَ جَنَّتَهُ وَهُوَ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِهِ قَالَ مَا أَظُنُّ أَن تَبِيدَ هَذِهِ أَبَدًا And he entered his garden while he was being unjust. Now, Allah doesn't mention that he was unjust to his workers, he wasn't being abusive towards his garden, nothing like that. Rather, it seems to be emphasizing that his oppression, his zulm, his injustice, his wrongdoing was entirely internal. The fact that he had allowed this wealth and this success to get to his head and start transforming his mentality, this was the problem. And then he finally admits it and declares what? Ma avunnu an abada. He said, I do not think that this will perish ever. So now he's starting to have this concept of immortalizing his work. My name will go down in history as the greatest producer, manufacturer, I don't know, whatever. You know, my company, will. the name will be known forever. My kids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids will always be known by having all this. Why? Because I finally have done it. And this concept of me, Ananiya, this ego, uh, we know that uh, Allah Ta'ala mentions that Qarun had this ego when he said, قَالَ إِنَّمَا أُوتِيتُهُ عَلَىٰ عِلْمٍ عِنْدِي he said, I was only given it, all this wealth that I have, because of the knowledge that I have, because of my special knowledge and how awesome I am as an individual. This is what is dangerous, when you allow your success to get to your head. 
And then he says what? وَمَا أَظُنُّ السَّاعَةَ قَائِمَةً وَلَئِنْ رُدِدْتُ إِلَىٰ رَبِّي لَأَجِدَنَّ خَيْرًا مِنْهَا مُنْقَلَبًا And that I do not think that the hour will occur. This idea of judgment day. I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. And even if I should be brought back to my Lord, I will surely find better than this as a return. This is really fascinating. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is, this ma- is it the case that this guy was always a disbeliever or did he start to disbelieve? Well, if this guy was always a disbeliever, he wouldn't feel the need to now declare it. You know, because he's always been someone who just never believed in God or afterlife or anything like this. Rather, it seems to be the case that now this is becoming his new worldview. He's starting to say, yeah, you know, business is good. And I don't really know if I believe in this stuff anymore. This whole idea of like, we have to pray or fast or be charitable. Like, do you really, do we really know if there's a judgment day? And even if there is one, I think I'll, I'll be fine. You know, I don't think it's really that important that we have to focus on trying to be a good Muslim and all this stuff. I mean, yeah, maybe it's true. Maybe there is an afterlife. If it is, I think I'll be fine. The real, well, Adam, it seems the clear evidence that he wasn't a disbeliever and that he was only becoming one is in ayah number 37 where his friend, his sahib, he says, Have you disbelieved? So, Wallah it seems to me, and Allah knows best, that there's a level of shock here. If the guy was always a disbeliever, there's no, there's no reason to be surprised. The fact that he's surprised goes to show that he used to be a believer. But now, because he's becoming more and more materialistic, starting to doubt the concept of an afterlife, he's slowly but surely moving away. And unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, we see this. I, I know people that I grew up with that, uh, you know, they were praying alongside next to me, uh, you know, uh, going to halaqat and being concerned about memorizing more Qur'an and things like this. And slowly but surely, they become more and more engrossed in their materialism. And slowly but surely, you find that there's no emphasis on Islam whatsoever. And then instead of feeling bad about it, I mean, they might have felt bad about it for the first portion of time, but eventually, slowly but surely, they start to say, you know, I don't even know if I'm, I really believe in this stuff anymore. Now, it's not like they ner- learned anything. It's not like they learned anything new. It's not like they, uh, you know, read something that caused them doubts or something like this. They came across ayat of the Quran that didn't make sense. That wasn't the issue. The issue was they were sick and tired of feeling guilty all the time because they were just neglecting their Islam. So now they're like, well, maybe there is no Islam. SubhanAllah, unfortunately, uh, if you're going to doubt a religion, which I think, you know, it's fine, you, it happens, sometimes you doubt a, pers- a person has a, a crisis of faith, it's usually because they're actually learning about the faith and they come across something that is, causes them doubt, not just because they've been neglecting it and now all of a sudden I have doubt. That seems to be a very disingenuous way of going about this. But anyway, Allah knows best. So, it seems that he used to believe in Judgment Day, he used to have gratitude and hope and fear in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but wealth changed him. He entered his garden and was overwhelmed by, the, by uh, 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 how great uh, his business was running. Uh, that's mentioned in ayah number 35. And so he began to feel that his business was a source of blessings, so he began to consider the garden his God. In other words, some, something like that's lasting forever, like a deity. Since he cannot deny death, he essentially says, even if I die, everything will keep running as it is now, if not even better. He completely lost an essential element of iman, which is what? Feeling detachment from this world. In order to be a mu'min, to be a believer, there has to be an element of recognizing that all this is going to go away and I have to be able to let go of this dunya. By the way, this attitude uh, is, uh, um, this attitude of saying what? Why would Allah give me Jannah here if I wasn't going to get Jannah in the next life? This is a very prevalent attitude that people have. If I'm successful in this life, I'm definitely going to be successful. In the next life, you can actually find this amongst the Protestants specifically. Uh, There's something called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is basically uh, the, the type of Christians that say like, you know, all the success that you have in this life is an indication that 
uh, you're going to be prosperous in the next life. Whereas we know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala actually tells us that whether you're going through good times or hard times, the fact of the matter is that all of it is a test from Allah. As Allah says, فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعَّمَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّ أَكْرَمَنْ as for, and as for man, when his Lord tries him and tests him, and thus is generous to him and favors him, he says, my Lord has honored me. No, just because I've given you blessings doesn't mean that that's, I'm honoring you. It means I'm testing you. Allah Ta'ala clarifies this in Surah Al-Fajr, ayah number 15. Furthermore, the Prophet says what? لَوْ كَانَتِ الدُّنْيَا تَعْدِلُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ جَنَاحَ بَعُوضَةٍ مَا سَقَى كَافِرًا مِنْهَا شَرْبَةَ مَاءٍ If the world uh, was equal even to the a mosquito's wing in the eyes of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, then he, then Allah Taala would not allow the disbeliever to even have a sip of water. I mean, this is why Fir'aun was so successful. It doesn't mean that Allah loves Fir'aun. Obviously, it's all a test from Allah, and this world is meaningless. Just the same way you would smack a mosquito and let it fall to the floor, and you would never go and pick it up and say, "Oh, let me save the mosquito wing." You don't care about its wing. You don't care about any of the mosquito. You think it's all just, "Ugh, get it away from me." In that same way, Allah Taala is saying, you know, this whole dunya doesn't doesn't even equate even to the wing of a mosquito. Furthermore, the Prophet says what? Wallahi, dunya fil akhirati illa mithlu ma yaj'alu ahadukum isba'ahu hadihi wa ashara yahya bis-sabbara fil yammi fal bima yarji'a That by Allah, this world is so insignificant compared to the hereafter that if one of you should dip his finger, and the reporter of this narration, he put his, he showed his forefinger, if you're going to put it in the ocean, Take it out and see what sticks to your finger. In other words, obviously the per- tiny little percentage of, uh, you know, uh, of a drop that is stuck to your finger, uh, that compared to the entire ocean is essentially nothing. Yes, now what is the main point of all this? SubhanAllah. The main point that I think is very, very important that all of us remember is that some people subconsciously feel like religion is essentially for the hopeless. It's a hope for the hopeless. There are a lot of people that are religious. Why? Because they're like, look, broke people have religion because they have nothing in this life. So they comfort themselves with promises in the next life to make life bearable, right? A lot of people have this subtle attitude, uh, uh, you could say subconsciously. And we see the development of this man's thinking slowly move in that direction through the following ayat. In ayah number 34, the guy starts making money. He begins to realize he's richer than his old buddies that he used to see as his peers. Then in ayah number 35, becoming a success in this life is difficult enough. So thinking that you must become a whole other success elsewhere is daunting, right? Obviously, look, if I'm successful in this life, how am I supposed to be also awesome in some other future hypothetical realm? It's easier to delude yourself that the success you finally achieved will remain forever. Look, if I'm good here, I'm going to be good uh, elsewhere. If it's, if it's lasting now, it's going to last forever. Plus, success can give you an ego, and an ego will convince you that you're entitled. So clearly, that's what's going on with this guy. And in I number 36, the ego convinces him that he's above being judged by a higher power. I don't even think that there's going to be such a judgment day. Why? Because I'm the highest authority. There's nothing above me. But then again, he remains open-minded, and he concedes that there could be, theoretically, a judgment day. But since he's now so awesome, it must undoubtedly continue his awesomeness must continue in all circumstances. Why? Because I deserve it now. So if Judgment Day is about to is, is all about justice, then justice is that I deserve it too. Subhanallah. Now, what does his friend respond? And this ayah, subhanallah, is just the beginning of his da'wah and just be- the beginning of this story. And unfortunately, we're going to have to keep it short because this is a very long story, but I think that this is a very, very uh, good place to just focus. 
that he says to him while he's conversing with him. So again, he's not being harsh and just saying it straight up. Rather, this is during a conversation. He's subtly injecting it. He's trying to actually help his friend, which goes to show that he's a genuinely good friend. And he says what? Despite the fact that he was disrespectful to him, he seems to really want to save him and save his soul. And so he asks him, Have you disbelieved in the one who created it, created you min turabin, from dirt? Trying to give him a reminder. You used to be nothing. You used to be from the dirt of this earth. Why are you developing this incredible ego? You came from the dirt and you're going to go back to it. Don't you recognize that the one who brought you out from this dirt, he can bring you back again for judgment day? Why would you doubt that there's a judgment day? Why would you have such an ego when we're all from mud? Then from a sperm drop. Is that something to be bragging about? The fact that you came from <laughs> your uh, father's, uh, you know, anyway, you get the point. It's not exactly something to... Then he developed you and, and, and uh, built you up into, uh, and proportioned you as a man. So subhanAllah, he's giving him a sense of humility. But in addition to that, there's also something very important that I want to highlight, which is what? If you feel that you can only give da'wah to somebody who is poorer than you, but never wealthier than you, that's because you've internalized the idea that wealth places them above you, which just so happens to be the exact idea that you're trying to remove from them. Therefore, uh, be like this believer who calls to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala despite having the lower socioeconomic status. This, I think, is a crucial, crucial point. So many Muslims in the West, they feel like, oh, I'll give da'wah to the guy who's homeless on the street. I'll give da'wah to the guy who is not as wealthy as me. But the moment somebody pulls up in a fancier car, I can't call that person to anything. Why? Because they're above me. Now, wait a second. Your whole message, your whole belief system is what? That his wealth does not place him above anybody. And your poverty, let's say, if you have it, does not place you beneath anybody because righteousness is not determined based on money. Uh, God giving you lots of money doesn't mean that he loves you. God giving you poverty does not mean that he hates you. It could be that these are all just tests from Allah. So subhanAllah, before you even think about da'wah, you have to ask yourself, have I internalized the very message that I'm trying to oppose? That, I think, is a very powerful lesson. And I think we need to remember this very much, that we don't just give da'wah to those who are from a socioeconomic perspective beneath us or equal to us, but even those above us, which genuinely shows that you know that it's the truth that is powerful and money comes and goes. It doesn't mean all that much. Jazakallah khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.